Hi, this is ESPN's Dave Lamont, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Welcome into the Sports Objective Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in whenever and however you're watching or listening, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, or pretty much anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. For the next half hour or so, we're going to be talking college baseball. It's the final week of the regular season, and the road to Omaha is almost here. And I'm very excited to welcome back in a familiar face, a guy we caught up with in the preseason, and that is Ben Upton, the former Mercer Bear from the – 11.7 11.7 podcast. Ben, how are you this morning? Hey, I'm doing good. And uh, Bubba, man, I, this is the, I think the fourth time I've been on your show. First time I've seen the intro video. That thing's pretty sweet. You did a good job. I appreciate it. Yeah. The, um, the audio there, purple and gold, uh, that is from Udon Cheek and the assistant track and field coach at East Carolina, longtime assistant track and field coach. He, he actually ran for the Pirates back in the early to mid nineties. And uh, Udon cut that, I guess, I want to say he released it about in uh, 06, 07, something like that. And, uh, you know, he's nice enough to let us use it. Um, but yeah, really it's, it's appreciate the compliment. <laughs> but, uh, you know, diving into things, I know um, I was on social media earlier this morning and I see that, you know, the 11.7 podcast uh, has really developed a tremendous following. You guys are closing in on uh, nearly 30,000 followers on Twitter. Yeah, it's been nuts. Uh, this is year four of us doing it. And, uh, you know, I started as like a passion project, just playing college baseball. I always felt like there was a uh, there was a need for more of just the, the fan side of things, you know, a little unfiltered coverage. Um, you know, Kendall Rogers and those guys at D1 Baseball do a fabulous job. Um, but I always said they, they do it more as like a, a scout like a scout way of thinking it. Sorry, my dog is just trying to hop in this, this camera, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and, and so like D one baseball, they play a big role in what we do. Cause that's where we get a lot of our research from, but we, we put our own little spin on things. And, uh, and so we take their information and, uh, you know, of course we watch games and do other research, but we wanted to make it a little bit more exciting to grow the sport. And I could have never dreamed of, uh, having close to 30,000 followers and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's rewarding, but I think we still have a long way to go, to be honest. Like, we haven't even tapped into a lot of other social media sites. Like TikTok's a big one. Uh, we just do very minimal work there. YouTube, we, we stopped our YouTube channel that we need to get back up, up and running. So right now it's primarily just a podcast and Twitter. And uh, you know, I think I, I see a lot of growth, not only for us, but just the sport in general. Uh, last four years, college baseball has turned into something that way more going next as far as the growth of the sport and just, um, you know, the, the following you guys have and speaks to a couple of things, obviously the, the product you put out, but then also the uh, interest in college baseball. 
And, uh, you know, as a diehard college baseball fan for, I guess, going on about 25 years now, going back to the late 90s, um, and when Keith LeClaire came, came to East Carolina, certainly followed the Pirates very closely prior to that. But, you know, during uh, the late 90s, uh, when that vision for Omaha came to be with Coach LeClaire, um, you know, really, um, really took it to another level. And uh, the, the exposure has uh, gradually increased since then. And I uh, love all these ESPN Plus games now. Oh, it's, um, it's I have caught myself after the Pirates games have been over, or maybe it's the day when East Carolina's not playing, you know, going to ESPN Plus. Hey, let's see uh, what game I can catch an inning or two of uh, and see who may be a team to look out for come uh, the Rona Omaha. Yeah, you get to start scouting teams in your own conference too. It's a, uh, I mean, that's what I do now. I mean, Obviously, let's talk East Carolina baseball. You you want to see what's going on at Tulane and Houston and uh, UCF those schools, uh, just to see what you know what your competition is going to look like. And uh, ESPN Plus gives that platform now, which is great. And you know, I see a lot of hate it, like hate on social media, like oh, why am I going to pay to watch college baseball? Well, what is ESPN Plus like six bucks a month? And yeah, get, exactly. Like, it's it's to, about as cheap as. Uh, mm-hmm as cheap as cheap can be and uh yeah like you're saying you more than get your money's worth um, because a lot of i know there's flow sports that's out there that i think the caa uses um with the uh another cameo there by ben's dog big hank the golden retriever unc wilmington elon to watch one game i think on one of those platforms um and uh, obviously you could uh, if the Pirates are playing both of those teams, you, you may be using it four or five times, um, depending on who all East Carolina is playing that uses that platform. But still, I think it's like 10 or $11 a month. So um, mm-hmm. still very cheap. But um, ESPN Plus has a tremendous product um, for uh, a very, very, very low price. Yeah, it's, it's the best. I love it. It changed the game. It really did. It made it way more popular. But you brought up East Carolina baseball. Obviously, uh, I know you, you love following the Pirates, uh, mm-hmm. even though, yes, you're a Mercer alum. Uh, you had the opportunity back in 2017 to uh, come to Clark LeClaire and, uh, oh, yeah. and the Mercer Bears, as you know, uh, swept the Pirates that weekend. Uh, Sorry but, about it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you you uh, certainly followed the Pirates very closely uh, after that firsthand experience and everything that Cliff Godwin and this program has done. Um, they were preseason top 10 this year. And then the Carson Wizen Hunt bomb was dropped on game week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, what a loss that was. And then, um, you know, this has kind of flown under the radar a bit. Um, diehards like yourself that really follow it uh, are aware. But uh, Jake Coochmaner has been down for the last five weeks now. And um, then you, you're 14 and 13 halfway through the season. Now you've won 21 out of your last 26, 11 straight. Uh, and tied for Maris uh, with the longest winning streak in the country. Yeah, I mean, they've completely turned the season around. I mean, no offense, but I thought back in, you know, middle of Feb- or middle of March, beginning of April, I thought the Pirates were dead. I thought they had no, like, they just, they had nothing going for them. And, uh, yeah, it was tough. I mean, when I came on the first time, uh, pre- or not first time, but first time this year, preseason, and that Wizen Hunt news was kind of leaking that it could have been PED related. And I was like, I don't think so. It turned out it was. Um, but, you know, we, nobody was really stepping up the first part of the season. And the season started, what, with a sweep against Bryant? Or they got swept by Bryant. At right. And, 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 then, and then after the Pirates, sorry to cut you off there, but after the Pirates were swept by Bryant, Bryant went on to 
I think they lost 11 straight games after that. Mm -hmm. They were swept by Davidson, Old Dominion, and some others. Yeah, but, uh, you know, do you take the transformation from what East Carolina was in, uh, you know, middle of March, beginning of April, to what we saw last night against, like, one of the hottest teams in the country, Campbell, um, to come back and win that game and uh, and, and see the guys just – not only the players, but like even coach Godwin was so pumped after the game. I and, mean, you know, he went and visited the jungle. I saw the video of that. Uh, it's just a team with a new identity. And I think they finally figured out who they're going to be this year. A little bit different than the, the, the super talented teams they had in the past. And uh, this is uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a new, it's a, it's a new identity for the pirates this year that they're actually making you know, work and, and happen and they just clinched the uh, the American title for probably what like the seventh time in the last eight years, maybe seventh in the last seven. Well, thir- uh, third straight regular season title, but um, you know, East Carolina joined the American um, in the first baseball season was I guess there in 2015, mm-hmm. and, um, and the Pirates won the tournament that year, and then they won the tournament again in I guess it was 2018. And then 2019, 2021, obviously nothing in 2020 with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then 2022, um, the Pirates um, have obviously won it this year uh, going into the final weekend against Houston. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they've either won the regular season or the tournament every year, right? Since uh, 15 when they joined? Uh, I think five out of seven years, something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, – I mean – you know, and I, I came on before the season uh, on our preseason show, and uh, I, I said it on the podcast too for our preseason projections. But I was like, you know, uh, I like I like the Pirates to finally make the jump to Omaha this year. Well, this was the week right before Wizenhunt gets uh, gets canned for the season. But I mean, you never know. I mean, teams get hot at the at the right time, like what the Pirates are, and. Uh, I mean, I would I would be surprised if they made it to Omaha, but at the same time, like I could see a scenario where they get put in a uh, uh, you know a regional, maybe let's I don't know if they're in like a like a seven or um, seven or ten six eleven somewhere in there for a regional. Yeah, uh, they go on and win it, and they get a favorable super regional matchup. I mean, this could be the year of all years, which is funny to me. I've always kind of thought that that may be the case when we. When we bust down that door, uh, mm-hmm. you think back to 2016, the Pirates were number three seed up in uh, Charlottesville. Virginia was the defending national champion. And uh, that season, uh, the Pirates were coming off, I think it's two and Q in the AAC tournament down in Clearwater. And, you know, the, the fan base was very frustrated. And then we go to Charlottesville, uh, take on a very good Bryant team, uh, win a, a game that was uh, closed for about the first seven innings, uh, Evan Krasinski pitched his butt off, and then uh, we we take down Virginia, uh, walk it off, Travis Watkins hitting that bomb, and then and then uh, William and Mary did us a favor and taking out Virginia, and then we beat the Tribe uh, to go to, to Lubbock in that Super Regional, and then obviously yeah. won game one of that. So, um, yeah, this could – who knows, maybe this 2022 well, team will be like 2016. I don't know about you, but I'm still frustrated with last year. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm like – that strike one, zone and over in Nashville. Yeah. I was gonna say I'm like one ten thousandth of a of a pirate fan that you guys are here. Uh, but you know, I still I still enjoy rooting for them. And I think they're a great baseball program. But last year in that Vanderbilt Super Regional, I mean, you guys were just straight up robbed. The the strike zone was not fair. 
they were all low scoring games. And uh, I mean, I think that if you guys would have played 13 of the 16 super regional teams, I, I think you guys would have been favored and, and probably won the super regional. It's just bad matchup there last year. Yeah. Uh, as if facing uh, lighter and rocker isn't challenging enough, you know, fa- facing them when they're getting, you know, four or five, six inches on each side of the plate. Uh, that, that's a uh, pretty, pretty daunting task. <laughs> yep. Yep. But, uh, a little bit more about this pirate club. Um, you know, back in 2017, uh, one of the things that Cliff Godwin said, uh, I guess leading into the 2018 season, was just talking about, um, you know, in retrospect, obviously everybody wanted to win the AAC tournament that year. The Pirates lost in the championship game to Houston, um, mm-hmm. but you know, finished 32 and 28 on the outside looking in. And he said, really, it was a blessing in disguise because it forced him and the uh, coaching staff and the team to really do some uh, some introspection, you know, and take a look at um, themselves in the mirror and what do they need to get better. And, and the program has just been excelling ever since because obviously hosted a regional in 2018, 2019, and then uh, 2021. And um, like I mentioned, uh, won a third straight AAC regular season title this year. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this regular season title, we've already touched on it, but it came out of nowhere. I thought this was going to be the year that Tulane won it. Or, you know, the, Houston was sneaky good. UCF was really good. Um, and after the first couple of weeks of conference play, I was like, yeah, this East Carolina team is dead. I, I have no expectation for them. And then sure enough, I forgot about them. And then I look up at the standings like four, five, like probably four weeks later, and boom, they're like right there in first place. And I was like, Yikes! This is a uh, this is a team that you know finally figured something out. Yeah, like, like you're saying, it definitely. Um, the biggest thing that surprised me is that we clinched, uh, you know, prior to the Houston series because mm-hmm. I thought for sure after we lost the series in New Orleans, the way Tulane was playing, um, I know they had some injuries, so that that really hurt the Green Wave. And we'll talk more about that situation in a minute with them making a coaching change, but. Um, with yeah, Tulane great. winning that series, I, I really thought that, hey, this thing's going to come down to the final weekend and it could be maybe, you know, the final day where the Pirates are needing to win and Tulane is uh, needing to, to lose to whomever they would be playing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. But um, Coach Godwin, uh, he's said it a lot after games here in the last two to three weeks, just how this team is really embracing um, – the culture and, you know, the that culture is rising to the surface with the 11-game win streak going 21-5 and five over the second half of the season. Uh, you've had so much uh, selflessness, if you will. And, you know, guys mm-hmm. like Ryder Giles starting shortstop, one of the best defensive shortstops in the country. Yeah. Um, you know, going into the Friday night role, now the Saturday role, you've had uh, C.J. Mayhew, who was so good out of the bullpen in short or um, in long relief. Um, C.J. Um, you know, switched from that role into a Friday night guy that's now, you know, throwing no hitters uh, like he did out at Memphis. And, yeah. then, uh, and then three very solid outings now in a uh, weekend role. And uh, you know, so many guys, Ben Terwilliger, who I know you saw last night. Uh, you guys retweeted awesome. his celebration as soon as he got that mm-hmm. final out and he struck out five guys in the final two innings against Campbell. Yeah, no, that and uh, 
Did you even mention, uh, who is it, Spivey? Is that his last name? Yeah, I haven't even mentioned Carter Spivey, you know, who's leading the team in, in wins and then also uh, tied for the team lead, I believe, in saves. And, yeah, and then guys like Bryce, Bryson Worrell and um, mm-hmm. Lane Hoover. Yeah, um, Hoover's another guy. Zach, that all these Zach guys Agnes, have just stepped I mean, up. It's, yeah. it's really been a team effort. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as far as, like, comparing this team to other college teams in the past um, that we've seen have success in the postseason, because I'm trying to look on the bright side, right? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to figure out a team that, you know, maybe matches the identity of this East Carolina team. Uh, you know, you look at NC State from last year, they finished the regular season very, very similar to this. Um, you know, they had a very rough patch in the middle part of the year, um, but they ended up winning 14 of like 16 to end the regular season, made a deep run in the ACC tournament. And, you know, of course, I'm not comparing this East Carolina team to one of the best postseason teams we've seen last year in, in, in NC State. But if there is a bright side to look at, it's college baseball is you know, it's a long season, 56 regular season games plus conference tournament. And then you have to win, you know, two playoff rounds to even get to Omaha. Um, you know, it's all about being hot at the right time and, and, you know, keeping your head above water during the regular season to give yourself an at-large berth or at least potential if you need it. So keeping that RPI up and, uh, you know, East Carolina has two of those things in the formula down. You know, they've they've kept their RPI in a respectable position where, you know, they're probably going to be an at-large team as, as long as they don't just fumble the, the down the stretch. And uh, and then, you know, being hot at the right time, 11 straight wins, uh, three to play uh, against, against Houston. And then you got the conference tournament, which, you know, they shouldn't have any trouble with. But if, even if they do, I think they're an at-large team. So uh, for all the Pirate fans out there to uh, try to compare – uh, maybe look at a bright side, you know, NC state from last year showed everybody what college baseball is all about. And that's just playing good baseball at the right time. No doubt. And, uh, you know, moving on from the pirates, but sticking within the American um, brought up the Tulane situation on the green mm-hmm. wave, decided to part ways with Travis Jewett. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who would have thought that here just a few weeks back, but uh, the Green Wave were on the outside or will be on the outside looking in unless they win the conference tournament um, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, they're, they've really slid, uh, I think, down into the low to mid-80s with the RPI. And uh, the American's going to be a one-bid league unless somebody besides East Carolina wins the conference tournament, in which right. it will be a two-bid league. But, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that Travis Jewett situation? I, I know, uh, obviously, Tulane has a well-known alum there on the, the coaching staff with Mississippi State, and uh, he seems to be one of the front runners, possibly for that job. Yeah, so, I mean, Jew, is, he's got a great reputation in the, in the game of college baseball. He, um, you know, he was on the Vanderbilt. He won a national championship with Vanderbilt, I believe, as an assistant coach. He was at Arizona State, Washington State. Um, you know, he's had a good uh, resume put together as, as an assistant coach. And, you know, back in 2020, before COVID hit, he was a, uh, you know, they were like 10 and two or 11 and two at Tulane. They were having a really good season. Um, and it felt like he finally put it together. And then, um, you know, the course season gets shut down, but it, it, Tulane's a tough, tough school. And I apologize. My baby is crying a little bit. I got his bottle though. Don't worry. This is dad on the, uh, on the job live action. There we go. Just want a little bit of food like his dad. Um, but yeah, going to, uh, you know, coaching at Tulane, 
is a really hard task because it's so expensive to go to school there. First of all, it's over 60 grand a year and uh, they don't get the, the athletic support that a team like Vanderbilt gets as far as like scholarships go. Um, so they don't help their athletes as much as a lot of these private schools do uh, from what I've heard. And uh, you know, he's kind of just set up to be in a bad place. Like he is a, he's a guy that can recruit with anybody in the nation and he's shown it uh, at other places he's been at. Uh, but his hands were tied and, and, you know, there was not as many resources there at Tulane. So in order to be successful at Tulane, um, you know, a team that went to the College World Series at least once in the early 2000s uh, and has had a lot of success, you know, in previous, you know, 20, 25 years or so, you got to be a local guy that is able to, you know, know the state inside and out. You got to know, you know, the, the, the hubs of, you know, Houston, Texas and Dallas, Texas, um, you know, Florida, even you got to find guys that can um, you got to find guys that can afford to go to school there and uh, that are willing to basically pass up on on any kind of like high school draft stock. And then uh, the transfer portal is another big thing that he never really took advantage of. So that's a new uh, a new avenue in college baseball that. You know, it's kind of a gray area, but if you can find a kid that you know is at an SEC school that maybe has um, some money behind him with his family uh, that maybe didn't get playing time at an ACC or SEC school or even Big 12, uh, you know, you go and get him from the transfer portal. He's okay paying his own way to go. And uh, and that's how you got to, like, build a roster, or at least in my opinion. Uh, but as far as, like, the, the new coach, um, like who's going to be the next coach at Tulane, there's a few options, but um, I see you put here in the chat, like my favorite option is Gotro uh, from Mississippi State. I mean, he uh, you know, he seems to be a good fit to, to be at Tulane, but you never know. I mean, they, it, it's going to be a nationwide search to try to find the right candidate. Absolutely. And uh, before we move on and talk about the national picture, you know, moving into um, the conference tournaments and then also the road to Omaha, um, and then um, talking about, you know, who you see being those 16 hosts. We'll talk about uh, some of that, um, you know, put our selection committee caps on, if you will. But yeah. uh, let's talk about your Mercer Bears. Uh, we <laughs> talked about my Pirates. Uh, your Bears are having a tremendous season, even though they've struggled a little here recently. Yeah, it's the opposite of the uh, what's what's been going on in, in Greenville. The uh, the Bears were, what, at some point like 32-5 and five or 32-6, and six and – They've just been struggling down the stretch. They got swept at Western Carolina uh, two weeks ago. Lost a game to VMI last weekend, uh, which VMI is in the bottom of the conference of the SoCon. And uh, and then they they were up five to two last night against uh, Georgia Southern, and uh, they ended up losing twenty two to five. They gave up like twenty unanswered. So I mean, they're they're literally just finding a way down the stretch just to survive. It looks like they're probably going to have to win their conference tournament to even get in a postseason, a regional. They were very comfortably a, uh, an at-large team through like the first 30 or 40 games of the season. Um, but, you know, they've just – they've struggled down the stretch. But still, they have 38 wins on the year. Uh, they can make it 40, uh, winning two out of three this weekend against Samford. And then um, in the conference tournament, they've had a lot of success in – in recent past in, in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. I mean, they have a good offense. Their best player 
uh, actually just tore his labrum a few weeks ago and has been out, just got surgery yesterday. So he's out for the year. Um, but, you know, they, they still have some pieces to maybe give some people some trouble in a regional if they end up getting there. Moving on to the national landscape, um, you know, uh, we'll start with the ACC and the SEC. Obviously, um, those are you know year in, year out, the top two conferences in America. And um, this year uh, with the SEC, uh, it's, it's been uh, largely you know Tennessee uh, stealing the headlines, but then Arkansas has had another tremendous year. And um, those are um, looking like the, the top teams in that league, even though I know Arkansas dropped a home series here recently to Vandy, who's mm-hmm. really surging. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's Tennessee and then everybody else. And it's, like, not even fair to Tennessee right now to say, like, who are the top two teams in the SEC because it goes Tennessee and then two through five is, is very, very close, in my opinion. Uh, and it's so weird because if you would have told me before the season, uh, you know, th- there's going to be probably t- 10 regional teams out of the SEC and – Oh, uh, Mississippi State's not going to be one, and Ole Miss is going to have to play their way in, which they have. Uh, it, it, I'd be like, you're crazy. But, yeah, looking at, like, two through five in the SEC, you got Arkansas, uh, Vanderbilt, of course, who's playing much better. Uh, and then you have two surprising teams in Texas A&M and Auburn. Nobody – I mean, they won – I think they each won nine conference games last year, and this year they're, uh, you know, basically in the West, like number one, two, three, just depending on where Arkansas is going to fall up. Uh, so it, it's been it's been a weird season. Uh, and then Georgia is another surprise team that everybody thought was going to be young and uh, not experienced really on the mound. And uh, they've really proven a lot of people wrong, including myself. And I used to live like an hour from campus. So um, I wasn't expecting the, the Bulldogs to do anything this year. But seems like uh, Coach Strickland has the, the guys – you know, at least comfortable in the, the the roles that they have, and they're playing good team baseball. Yeah, you mentioned Texas A and M uh, coach Schloss Nagel. Uh, obviously, um, he's received a lot of uh, you know accolades down through the years for everything he did at TCU, and I know a lot of people are really uh, talking about what he has going on in um, you know his first year there at A and M. But mm-hmm. uh, in addition to that. You know, what are your what are your thoughts on just the whole and we talk about Tennessee and you know how dominant they've been. Um they've only lost, I think, three games, something like that there in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. But uh Tony Vitello um and just the, the pitching staff, you have with Joyce, uh, hundred and three to hundred and five. Yeah, unbelievable. Here in a recent outing. And he threw, I think it was 33 fastballs, and something like 25 of those were 103 or higher. So just mm-hmm. absolutely crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, and yeah, Ben Joyce is probably like the sixth or seventh best pitcher on that staff, even though he throws 105. Um, and they, they just have, they have five legitimate starting pitchers that would be Friday or Saturday guys on every single team in the country. Um, and offense has been ranked number one or two in almost every category team wise in the country. Uh, It's a super, it's a superstar team. And and this is a team that's in my opinion, much better than Arkansas from last year, which everybody was drooling over. Um, You know, Arkansas relied heavily on on Kevin cops to win them a lot of games late. And he pitched a ton in innings. Uh, Tennessee's got like, they have equivalent to Kevin cops, like probably four or five different ways. 
So it's a uh, it's a special team, and we'll see how far they go. But um, you know, there, there has been a little curse in college baseball of being the one number one overall team. They had the number one overall seed in regionals is uh, is only one. I think the most recent one was like '99 when Miami did it. So nobody's won it in the 2000s yet, uh, being the number one overall team. You know, um, in the SEC, uh, you also have a program like Florida, who you know has had so much success in recent years. But last year uh, was a disappointment in the postseason. This year, there's certainly been some ups and downs, but they're playing much better of late. Um, yeah. Even though, even though the schedule may not have been quite as challenging, but um, the Gators seem to be going in the right direction. And then you have Jay Johnson in his first season down there at LSU. You know, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, some of those programs? And then also, like, Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss had really been struggling. And, you know, a lot of a lot of folks um, that you know, are Rebels fans were saying, hey, is it time for a change? And now they're, they're red hot, just swept LSU and Baton Rouge. Yeah. Um, so, before the season started, I picked LSU to win the national championship. Um, I've accepted my defeat. They, they don't have the pitching to win uh, – a national championship, but you know, they're still on the bubble to maybe host a regional. Uh, Ole Miss was another team that I was really high on as well. And they were even more dead than what the pirates were halfway through the season. Uh, and they've, they've, they're just, they're doing the, the hot, cold, hot theory, like, like East Carolina, they uh, finally hot again. And they've just been steamrolling people, including that sweep at Alex Park stadium. Uh, those are two teams that, you know, they can play with anybody. They recruit with, you know, better than, 99% of teams in the country and they, they have the talent. It's just about making sure everybody's, you know, playing good baseball at the same time on the roster. So, you know, between LSU and Ole Miss, I expect one of them to make an Omaha run and give some people trouble just because of the talent they have. Uh, they've both had points in the season where they just couldn't buy a hit. And the pitchers would just give, so they would give up so many free passes and, and LSU, was one of the worst defenses in the country up until about two or three weeks ago. Um, so I don't know. Those two teams are very similar in my eyes. Of course, LSU's had more season long success, but success recently in the rebels, I mean, they're one of the hottest teams in the country. And moving on to the ACC, um, Miami has been very good. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're, uh, even though they've had an excellent season, they're they're definitely not dominating that league the way uh, Tennessee has dominated the SEC by any means. I mean, uh, Virginia Tech, and that's a program that's that's probably the, one of the stories of the year in college baseball. You know, if Tennessee hasn't been doing or uh, what they've done up to this point, uh, Virginia Tech would probably be that team that uh, folks were talking about because the Hokies are ranked as high as third this week. And, um, you know, they yeah. can re they can really swing the bats. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of folks like the guys at D1 Baseball seems to think, you know, they, they have just enough pitching to make a run. Yeah, so Virginia Tech was – you're right. I mean, they're a team that came out of the woodworks. I mean, they just nobody, – nobody expected them to do anything other than maybe fight for a regional spot, uh, not even considering a super regional or, or, or even hosting a regional – and God, I mean, they have, they have literally played the weirdest baseball I've ever seen as far as there's some games where they'll win very low scoring and, and the pitching looks like their strength. And then they 
also on the flip side, they'll out, you know, they'll play a 14 to 12 game the next day uh, where the offense looks unstoppable. So, um, you know, if they ever play a complete game, you know, and they put a few complete games together, uh, I mean, they're going to be up there is like one of the last four teams remaining in the, uh, in the country. And, but, you know, they put themselves in almost a lock as a regional host and more than likely a, uh, a national seed. So, that's something we haven't seen from Virginia Tech and who knows how long. So the program's on the right direction. They have a great group of guys. Uh, Gavin Cross is going to be a first-round pick this year, uh, one of the better hitters in college baseball. So, I mean, I, I would look for them to, to have postseason success. But on the flip side, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe the stage gets too big for those um, for the players. I, I don't know. This is just like a, a, an outside view looking in. You know, none of the players have really played in, in any kind of super regional game or especially college World Series. So we'll see if they're able to uh, to hold up on this new stomping grounds that they're on. Excellent point there regarding the Hokies' lack of experience in the postseason. But uh, Miami, uh, you know, I talked about the, the year they're having. Um, that's a program that's been down in recent years. Um, other programs that have, you know, experienced some struggles in recent years, <clears throat> UVA, um, the Cavs are, are back up and running, you know, not, not that they're ever really, really down because they're right around 500. But, uh, but this year, you know, they're, they're back to where they typically are. They're near the top of the conference and, you know, hosting regionals. And then um, also to a lesser extent, uh, Louisville, and um, the cards are uh, really good, and they've had some high-scoring games. Yeah, so uh, out of those teams you just mentioned, uh, I, I like Louisville the most to make a, uh, a deep postseason push. You know, of course, Miami has been really good this year. Uh, and they, you know, they've had success, I guess. You know, they were a 2019, they were a regional team. 2020, they were a regional team as well. Um, I just – you know, outside of just a couple pitchers, I don't really trust anybody on the mound for them. Uh, and then, you know, you, you mentioned Virginia, who started the year, I think they got all the way up to, like, number two in the country at one point. Uh, yeah. They, at uh, one point, they were, what, like 20 – they were, like, 20-something and one. They were much yeah. like Tennessee. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's a that's an Omaha team from last year. When I was out in Omaha, I watched them play against Tennessee, and they ended up beating Tennessee in an elimination game. Uh, so – Recently, you know, Virginia feels like they're back, maybe not as great as they were in the early 2010s, especially in 2015 when they won the national championship. But, um, you know, Jake Geloff is a superstar. He's got over 70 RBIs this year. And, uh, you know, they're able to they're able to compete with anybody in the country. They're just like the, the LSUs or Ole Misses that we touched on earlier. They recruit. They got facilities. They got great coaching staff and player development. But when it, when it all comes down to everything, I like Louisville to – I don't know, Louisville feels like the more complete team with more uh, more depth on the mound. And then the, the biggest strength is their offense. You know, it doesn't matter who you put up there against them. And they're going to find a way to compete and battle and work counts deep and barrel balls up. And that's, that's the recipe for success um, in the postseason for college baseball. So um, I think this is a good year to keep an eye out on Louisville. Yep, I agree, and thank you for correcting me on Virginia. That's why I was, I guess, going back to uh, you know more like 2018 and 2019 as far as those struggles and being around 500. Forgot about the tremendous run they had last season. 
Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I, they, I, weren't, I, they I weren't supposed was, to be there, but they were. I guess it was what um, they, they were playing in that uh, Super Regional, the odd Super Regional at uh, Founders Park down in Columbia, right? Yep, yep, against Dallas Baptist. And yep. <laughs> I think they lost the first game, and then they were going to lose the game two, or maybe it was game three, but uh, ended up robbing a home run late and, uh, and they ended up winning the game. So, yeah, I want to say Virginia was a three seed last year, maybe a two. I believe that's correct. Uh, and, it's just such an odd atmosphere because of that situation and the way the NCAA was doing things yeah. uh, with, with the Super Regionals, to see a Super Regional being played in front of a couple hundred or a few hundred fans. Yeah, it was, it was basically just the people that could make the six-hour drive down from Charlottesville, Charlottesville and then Dallas Baptist, you know, that's a, you got to fly from there. Uh, and, you know, it was a very small crowd, that neutral site. And uh, I think, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was weird last year, but it was, it was, I think it was better than hosting it at Dallas Baptist, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it, at least it was a neutral site, like somewhat halfway between each team. Right. Um, you know, Moving on from the ACC and SEC, obviously, um, nationally, Oregon State, a, a lot of folks think that they're the closest thing to Tennessee. You know, what are your thoughts on the Beavers and, you know, some of those other teams around the country? You know, Oklahoma State's had a tremendous year, uh, even though they struggled a little here recently. Um, and then an, another team, kind of a wild card, uh, they're about, what, sixth or seventh in that league. But Texas, a lot of people had Texas, you know, top five, top ten, much like East Carolina. And yeah. uh, the Longhorns have a solid record, but um, they've been a bit of a disappointment thus far. Yep, yep. So uh, going back to Oregon State, uh, they have a guy named Cooper Hajerpi. Uh, and he's a left-handed Chris Sale-like pitcher that, uh, you know, if he faced Tennessee today, I think he beats Tennessee. Like, he's that good. Uh, really played his way into, you know, pretty much a lock to be a first-round pick as long as he stays healthy. Um, so they, they have, in my eyes, like one of the best starting pitchers in the country. Um, and then you know about their success. They've had, you know, back – I mean, they won back-to-back in 2007 – or six and seven, and they also won it in 2018. Um, I mean, this is the, the premier of the West Coast and one of the premier programs in the country. Um, and, yeah, last week before they lost two out of three um, – this past weekend, they they were in some polls ranked number one in the country, you know, because people saw Tennessee lose two out of three to Kentucky, and they were like, "Wow, Oregon State's playing incredible baseball right now. Uh, maybe they deserve to be the number one team." But when you compare resumes, Tennessee's got the best resume by far, and uh, Oregon State I think is a is a pretty solid number two, and then that's when you know, three through really like 12. It's jumbled up mess. It's who's playing the best baseball at the right time. Uh, so college baseball rankings are hard. It's not like college basketball or college football where you have a very consistent uh, idea of who the best teams in the country are. Uh, but, you know, Tennessee one, Oregon State two is pretty much everybody in the, in the country's one-two poll out of all the ranking systems we have now. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, Texas – and going to Texas, they were the number one team in the country for – a, a few weeks this year and everybody was high on them, including myself. And, uh, I still have, I, I still am high on them. Uh, talent standpoint, they're, they're fine. You know, they just, they got into a spell during the season of just, you know, firing their opposing teams up by you know, talking or, 
doing all this stuff, um, you know, the antics and things and uh, kind of put a target on their back. And, you know, they're in fifth, tied for fifth now, I think, in the Big 12. Uh, only one game above 500 in conference play. But once the tournament starts, you can throw those records away. They're going to be a favorite. You know, if, uh, if there's any sports gamblers listening to this, they're going to be a favorite in every single game they play up until maybe Super Regionals and, and maybe Omaha. But I could still see them being considered a favorite uh, yeah. in those games. So they're going to be a heck of a two-seed or, or maybe even three-seed. It, it's going to be weird. Yeah, they're that you know, two or three seed, you know, that you really don't want to get into your regional, like, like yeah. you're saying, because there's so much potential there. Exactly. I mean, if they're, if they're a two seed, let's just say, for example, if they're a two seed in, um, uh, I'm trying to think of where they would probably send them, like maybe like a Stanford regional or a, uh, even Miami, like it doesn't matter. I, I I would say that Texas would be the favorite over both of those teams. To be honest, it's they're they're good. They're really good. Not that I necessarily think this will happen, but um, you know, with the rivalry between Texas and Arkansas, could you imagine Texas being oh being God. sent to Arkansas? I hope that actually happens. I, I really that do. that would be that would be tremendous, uh, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a good possibility. I could see the committee doing that. Um, you know. I, it's just like the the amount of two seeds this year is like small, like lock, like let's say a lock of a two seed. Like you, they're not going to be a one, they're not going to be a three. It's very small this year because of how bunched up and, and jumbled up everything is. You know the the discrepancies between the RPI and the actual rankings. You, there's there's a lot of three seeds out there, and then there's a lot of one seeds. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so. It, the committee's going to have to do a good job of just like slotting teams down to a two seed or slotting them up as a two seed. And uh, I could see Texas being one of those two seeds that, you know, gets sent to an Arkansas or gets sent to an LSU or Vanderbilt. And uh, that's when the real fun starts. And not to get off on a tangent or maybe I should say a, a raccoon hole, if you will, <laughs> uh, but uh, what transpired in the stands there at Baum Stadium between <laughs> or, or during that Arkansas Vanderbilt series, you know, uh, th- that was nuts. Uh, <laughs> in- I've already claimed it the, the most viral video in college baseball history. It got upwards of over 6 million views on Twitter alone. Uh, I, at least since I've been keeping up with the sport, so since 2014, my freshman year, I, I haven't seen a video go that viral ever. So um, it, it might actually hold the crown for the most viewed college baseball video. And it's just, it, it's so par for the course. Um, you know, I have a lot of family in Arkansas growing up, you know, cause I'm from Texas. And uh, so we used to go over there and just, it, it's a different breed of person. Like they're just fearless. Uh, you know, they'll grab any animal. They'll, they'll do whatever. Um, they're just a fearless bunch of a fearless group of people stereotyping the whole state, of course. Um, right. But it's just something I talked about on the podcast where uh, there's a 0% chance, and I mean zero as as low as zero goes, that I would even be within 10 feet of that raccoon, um, and especially not trying to pick it up. Uh, Right, that's what my dad was saying because, (laughs) you know, obviously rabies, but... uh, Yeah, rabies, and then those things are are fearless. They'll come after you, they'll try to rip your face off. So um, I I had the guy, Grant... 
uh, I forget his last name, but um, I saw he was making his rounds on getting interviewed and stuff. Uh, yeah, you got it. Y'all, y'all have to get him on the show. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, he didn't follow us back, so I was, uh, I couldn't send him a direct message. But um, he's definitely, uh, definitely a college baseball legend now, and I think he should get season tickets for life at uh, Bomb Walker. Then that man or woman who, uh, like you said, had much more respect for the raccoon falling over the seats. That, that was hilarious. That was the best part of the whole video. And I, and I didn't even notice it the first few times I watched. <laughs> and, and that's the only thing I could keep my eyes on moving forward uh, was, you know, the, the lady that just tripped over the seat, looked like she passed out. She wanted nothing to do with that raccoon, which I don't blame her. I would have been the same way. But back to baseball as we start to wind things down. Um, you know, around the country, and we've talked about a lot of the, uh, you know, so-called, you know, name programs, you know, tremendous stories of the year. But um, let's talk about, you know, teams like Dallas Baptist, Southern Miss. Um, you know, they've struggled a little here recently, but the Golden Eagles are uh, having an excellent year. So much tradition there in Hattiesburg, uh, UCSB. Um, they're they're having another stellar season. You know, who are some programs like that? Uh, obviously, you have UConn. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Jim, Jim Penders, the job that he does up there is unbelievable. They've really been the standard for the Northeast uh, region. Mm -hmm. uh, so who do you like? You know, some teams that are, you know, to the average college baseball fan, or uh, I shouldn't say average, the diehard college baseball fan, they uh, are certainly aware of these programs and know what they're capable of. But to the, to the average fan, you know, um, teams that are maybe, you know, flying a little bit under the radar that can make mm -hmm. that run to Omaha. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, I got a list of about six or seven that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, you know, we call them mid-major teams uh, on the podcast. And I know it's a, a phrase coined for college basketball, but it's really like the closest thing you can say. Uh, we, we basically, as, as you know, Ben, we're uh, sorry to cut you off. We're, we're a huge fan of the, uh, that mid-major label here on the sports objective. Yeah, I'm sure you are. It's because we don't consider East Carolina a mid-major, so I'm sure that's a nice little. We do appreciate that. Though. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't count the American Conference as a uh, mid-major, but um, you know, there's teams like you, you touch on a lot of them. Like UConn is is really good. They have like 43 wins, 42 wins this year already. Um, but it's maybe some teams that maybe don't get as much national attention as they should. Uh, Gonzaga, you know, they played a close one last night against. Uh, Oregon and they're in that hosting picture as well and it's just hard to find games to stream and watch them play I think they play a few on ESPN plus but um, you know they, they usually use like a different streaming service uh, Louisiana Lafayette the Raging Cajuns I know they just got swept by Texas State but they've turned their season around and they have a really good coach and coach Deggs who led Sam Houston to a super regional back in 2017 or 2018 um, they have a lot of potential because they won two out of three against UC Irvine to start the year. Um, you know, Texas State is another team we haven't talked about. They're, they've won over 40 games already, and uh, they're rolling through the Sun Belt, which is one of the best conferences in the country. Uh, so, I mean, th there's those teams. And then out west, you, you, ne you can never count out UC Santa Barbara. Um, and uh, Grand Canyon is another school that – uh, they've had a ton of quality Power Five wins this year. Um, both of those teams, I think, are, are locks to be in the tournament. It's uh, it's going to be interesting because this is the year. This is two years removed from from the COVID shutdown, uh, where the transfer portal opened and 
mid-major teams are a lot older now, you know, with six-year seniors. Uh, and then they also get transfers in that are fifth or six-year seniors. So this is the year where I think there's going to be quite a few mid-major teams make a run uh, just because they're, they're older, more experienced, and, uh, and the time frame kind of fits to where the bigger schools see more guys get drafted. Um, going on like an MLB draft tangent, they shorten the draft. So less guys are getting picked. And most of those guys are coming from the SEC or ACC or Big 12, Pac-12. So they're losing a lot of their talent. Meanwhile, the mid-major teams are bringing back their talent. So this is going to be a year where uh, you're going to see a lot of upsets in the uh, in, in the regionals and super regionals. A couple oh, more oh one more team, Coastal Carolina, playing yeah. the best baseball I've ever seen them play since 2016. Um, just absolutely smoked Clemson last night, and uh, they. What was the score in that one? I, I didn't catch it. It was it was 14 to nothing in the fourth inning when I turned it off. That's the second time this season they've smoked mm-hmm. them, correct? Yeah, I think they're. I think they've won five games against Clemson, South Carolina, and uh, I think they're five and zero against North Carolina, South Carolina, and Clemson, or something along those lines. Like they they've beaten up on these Power Five schools um, in the midweeks. Yeah, um, in that in that league, the Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. Um, Follow it very closely. One of my one of my best friends uh, is the third base coach for App State, but um, mm-hmm. you know that that's a tremendous league. It's been as high as fifth in the RPI this year. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're splitting hairs when you get there five, six, seven with the Sun Belt Conference USA and some of those leagues. Mm-hmm. But um, you, you talked about Georgia Southern, the season they're having. Yeah. Uh, Texas State is very good, and then obviously Louisiana. So that, that's a tremendous mm-hmm. baseball conference. Yeah, and then you got like, and no weekend is easy. Troy and South Alabama are both very competitive as well. Uh, so it, that's the that's one of the tournaments, like conference tournaments, that I'm going to be keeping a big eye out on, uh, because I think even if it's a one versus eight matchup or a two versus seven, uh, I think that there could be a team outside of those four that we talked about end up winning it and stealing a bid from, uh, from everybody else, stealing a bid to the regional. A final thing for you. Um, you know, we have to get on our soapbox, or at least I have to get on my soapbox before we, um, you know, close things out here. But this is something, you know, historically, you know, sure you've had games where maybe you had mass sickness or more likely, you know, weather that caused the game to be canceled and, you know, coaching staffs were, hey, that, that didn't hurt us. And it's probably mm-hmm. better that we didn't play that game because it would have hurt our RPI. But to see what we're seeing now with teams like, you know, TCU, Texas A&M, Texas State, and I'm sure there have been others, mm-hmm. uh, to cancel games to preserve an RPI, that's just – that should not be happening, in my opinion, and it shows uh, just the emphasis and that's being placed on that RPI measure um, that is just simply too great, um, and mm-hmm. that has to change, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I could have a whole podcast episode on my opinions on the RPI. It's it's turned into the three worst letters in college baseball because um, you know it's it's a good ranking system, but it's not perfect by any means. Uh, I've been against it since, I mean, 2014 when I started playing. But, um, I mean, to go off of what your, your point is, uh, yes, it, I I agree that canceling games is not a good look for the sport at all. Um, but on the flip side, I have learned to see the view of the head coach 
of the teams that are in a potential hosting spot or uh, potential at-large spot canceling these meaningless mid uh, midweek games because college baseball is the only sport that I know of that actually punishes you for, for winning a game. So for the listeners out there that maybe aren't familiar, um, the RPI is a ranking system one through 301. Uh, and, you know, 301st team is the worst team in the country by these ranking standards. So if you're a team that is, you know, in the RPI in the 20s somewhere, and you have a midweek game against someone in the 200s, it's going to hurt your strength of schedule, which is a big factor into the RPI. So even if you win, you, you very well going to see yourself drop in the RPI rankings, which is going to push you further out of whether you're going to be hosting a regional or an at-large spot. And, um, and that just doesn't need to be the case because, you know, the game of college baseball, everybody enjoys, um, you know, that's not, it's not a good look. So there's a few solutions to fix it. You know, one, either fix the RPI or two, maybe um, pick five games a year that you, you still play. It's just not going to hurt your RPI. Um, you know, make them just uh, invisible games, uh, something that the ranking system never sees, but it still gives you an opportunity to, um, you know, play your guys and have the other team play against you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I see both sides of the of the of the picture now, and it just needs to be get, it needs to get fixed because it's just it, it's it's a bad look for the sport. And I agree with you. I certainly understand the coach's perspective there and, you know, them needing to do, like Cliff Godwin said, what he needed to do to protect his program. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something he, he said it's not good for the game. But, um, you know, on the flip side, if I'm being honest, that uh, if we were in that spot, that uh, I'd, I'd probably do the same thing. Well, and the crazy so, thing is, you know, you get punished if you win. And then if you lose, you get like double or triple punished. You can drop 15 spots in the RPI if you lose a midweek game to, uh, you know, North Carolina A&T, like North Carolina did earlier this year. Right. Um, so it's like pick your poison. I mean, you win, you still lo- you lose in the rankings. If you lose, you double or triple lose. It's a uh, it's just a flawed ranking system that I'm telling you, I could have an, an hour long segment on just the RPI. And just with the nature of the, the game of baseball, I, and this is going way back to 2009, but when North Carolina was, you know, they were absolutely loaded and, uh, you know, had been making Omaha year in, year out. Uh, the, the Tar Heels, you know, they probably didn't have more than about 10 to 12 losses all season. Yeah. Uh, they lost to a Campbell team that I think maybe had less than 10 wins uh, back when back when the Campbells were awful. And then East Carolina had lost in the Super Regional to North Carolina and the Pirates earlier that season had lost a midweek game to Campbell. So Campbell had like eight wins and one was over an Omaha team and one's over a super regional team. So that's just the things that can happen in college. That's baseball. a great example. Yep. And it just shows you how ridiculous um, so much weight. Like you said, it's a good measure, but, you know, let's be able to uh, know enough about what we're assessing to uh, apply some common sense. Exactly. And uh, before we wrap up here, I actually came prepared with one question for you. Um, Uh Oh, here we go. I thought that the most ridiculous stat that I've seen this year in college baseball is that East Carolina has beaten Duke 22 of the last 23 times they've played. 
Correct. I guess this is a two-part question. One, like, I'm, I'm sure you've watched a majority of those 23 games. What is Duke's kryptonite, and, like, why is it East Carolina? Like, what is going on in those games? Because I, I honestly haven't paid attention to any of those games, really, outside of a few. Um, like, how is that even possible? And Duke's not a team, like, uh, they don't play in the MEAC or they don't play in the SWAC or, you know, some of these – bottom level right. conferences like this is an ACC team that uh, last year made it to a regional because they won 19 straight games like what is East Carolina doing that just makes them Duke's daddy right now a couple things about that um, East Carolina and Duke have not played as consistently as North Carolina and or excuse me as East Carolina has played North Carolina and also North Carolina State uh, so that's one thing that has to be taken into consideration because well, I don't say, blame Duke for that. <laughs> they don't want to play you guys. <laughs> with, uh, uh, going back to, you know, prior to Coach Pollard, um, you know, the, these games, I think this I think this streak that you're referencing, 22 out of 23, goes back to maybe the uh, mid to late 90s. So uh, that shows you that these teams haven't been playing home and home annually. Uh, like mm-hmm. East Carolina and uh, North Carolina, North Carolina State have been. Uh, so I'd say probably at least about half of those games have been when the, the Blue Devils weren't very good. But okay. then also, uh, I guess otherwise, it's kind of been uh, just one of those things that, that can happen, even though it's less likely to happen in the game of baseball, uh, where East Carolina has just had uh, Duke's number because we went through a stretch. East Carolina probably lost – eight to ten straight against uh, North Carolina and North Carolina State where we were in every ball game or, yeah. or most of those games, and we kept losing walk-off after walk-off. I remember the walk-off pack. fest. Was yeah, that uh, and, uh, against North one of Carolina this year? State and North Carolina had our number. Mm-hmm. Now, that's funny. I mean, it just it was a stat that, like, I expect to see in, in like, East Carolina football. Like, you know, has lost 22 of their last 23 against Clemson or whatever. And it's like, okay, I, I, that kind of makes sense. But this is baseball, and, and Duke, like, for the most part, usually has a pretty competitive team, uh, and, and they've had some really good years. So I was just baffled and blown away by uh, when I saw that on Twitter. Someone tagged 11.7 and said that, and yeah, we talked pretty, about it on the podcast for probably 15 minutes. Like, how is that even possible? Yeah, and to um, – to Coach Pollard's credit, um, you know he he loves the series because of the way it prepares the Blue Devils, and uh, East, mm-hmm. East Carolina feels the same. Um, Coach Godwin loves playing Duke because, like you're sa- saying, uh, Coach Pollard has taken that program to unprecedented uh, levels right. here in uh, recent years. That was a program that hadn't been to the NCAA tournament in like 40 or 50 years, and um, he. Last year they were in a regional, and then prior to that they had been in back-to-back super regionals on the doorstep of Omaha. That's right. I forgot they were a uh, yeah. they were a super regional team against uh, Vanderbilt. They actually they won, won a game it. against um, Vandy, right? Mm-hmm. They got no hit by Kumar Rocker, and then the next day, uh, this was 2018. Oh no, no, this was 2019 when Vanderbilt won the national championship. But yeah, they were uh, they were a super regional team, and you're right, they won a game in that super regional. So crazy. But. Um, We'll go ahead and wrap this up. I know you're on uh, daddy duty there with the little one. Oh, he's been but, uh, great. I, I mean, he deserves endless, <laughs> endless uh, naps today and, and endless bottles of milk. And, and there's a formula crisis going on. So don't have any more kids right now. I'm telling you, the, the, the formula 
the baby formula is down to its like very last stock at every grocery store. But he'll he'll get an extra bottle today because he's been good during this podcast. Doesn't surprise me with everything else. Uh, it seems like the you know, prices and you know, people were uh, struggling to find workers, and just the cost mm-hmm. has risen on pretty much everything. But yeah, uh, crazy times. But um, you know, if you're a college baseball fan. Uh, you certainly owe it to yourself to follow not only D1 baseball but the 11.7 podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, being tell our listeners, um, you know, the avid college baseball fans, if they don't already follow you guys, how they can do so. Yeah, I mean, we like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we do a majority of our work on Twitter, and it's just at 11. It's a, at 11 p o i n t seven, so at 11.7. Um, and then we also have podcasts that come out twice a week. They come out. Uh, very late Sunday night after all the action where we recap the weekend and then um, sometime during the day on Thursdays to preview the upcoming weekend and also recap the midweeks. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, we used to put our stuff on YouTube, but uh, just haven't had time to you know, do the video content as much. But uh, I recommend checking us out on Twitter. We have links to everything like our, our merchandise store and uh, uh you know, all of our social media channels. So, uh, but like I, like I said, Bubba, earlier in the podcast, always happy to come on to this show. I know I'm a little handcuffed with time most of the time because of my work schedule and with the with my son now. But uh, I think this is either four or five times I've been on the show and I really enjoy it every single time. Absolutely. Um, I guess, what year um, did you guys launch the, the podcast again? 2019, yeah. Okay. 20- I knew this was at least um, the third or fourth year. Yeah, I mean, I was on the show last year when I was boots on the ground in Omaha. So that was fun. Uh, and then I know I went on it previous. I think I went twice last year. This is my second time this year. And then once in 2019. So this must be my fifth time uh, coming on the show. Yep. Always appreciate your time. And uh, we'll certainly have you back on during the postseason to talk about some of the happenings on the road to Omaha and uh, the regional, super regional. And uh, obviously, once the eight teams are there, and um, I started to say TD Ameritrade, but what, Charles Schwab ballpark. Charles Schwab now, yep. Charles Schwab ballpark, Charles Schwab field, whatever it is now there in Omaha. But uh, really uh, enjoyed the chat as always. Um, there you see, again, Ben Upton, um, Ben underscore Upton5 on Twitter, and then add 11.7 on Twitter. Um, for Ben Upton, I am Bub Rosenbaum, and you've been watching and listening to the Sports Objective Have a great one, everyone. Take care, and as always, go Pirates. Go Pirates.